Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Keep Your Eyes Fixed on Jesus by Rob Wilson. Father God, we give you thanks for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity we've already had to have uh, in, in this place to come into your presence and to worship you, to lift up your name. And we pray, Lord, that as we get into your word today, that you would speak to us, that you would open our ears to hear what you're saying, that your Holy Spirit would speak, uh, Lord, that I would be out of the way and you would speak uh, what you want to say to us, Lord, that uh, we'd have ears to hear what you're saying. Lord, we give you glory in this place and uh, we look forward to what you're saying to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before Pastor Sean left to go on holidays, he spoke a visionary message. I'm not going to recap that, but, but it was an incredible message and I want to go on from there. Um, in a nutshell, he's saying we're not looking for revival. For, for years, people have prayed for revival and we're not looking for revival. We actually believe God is bringing about reformation reforming the way we do things. You know, uh, literally revival means bringing back to life, um, that once again we have life. Um, And whilst we want to have life and we want to have it to the full, uh, we don't want to just go back to where we were pre-COVID. We believe God is bringing us on into a new thing. And, uh, you know, to be honest, 2020 has been a rough year, hasn't it, for for pretty much everyone. It's, It's brought about many new challenges to life. Uh, One of the phrases that we hear a lot of the time this year is the new normal. Now, mostly people talk about it in a fairly negative way, that you know they're getting used to the new normal as we do things differently. But I believe God wants to bring about a new normal. And so it's not about reviving and taking us back to where we were before the COVID, but actually to reform us and reshape us, uh, to transform us, to morph us into the things that God wants, wants us to be. We are like clay in the hands of the master potter and he wants to shape us up into something different, something new. You know, so often for us, church life has been very comfortable. It's all been about us, if we're honest, or not all about us, but but far more of it has been about us than what it should have been, uh, especially in countries like Australia and uh, you know, well-off countries, the Western world. It's, we've become very comfortable. Um, even if you if we honestly look through some of the worship songs over our last 20 years that we've been singing, uh, quite often it's more about how we feel than about literally lifting up the name of Jesus. And that's something we want to change and, and, and transform. We want to turn the focus back onto Jesus. We want to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. His life changing power is what we need. Just a glimpse of his glory is enough to change people's lives. The apostle Paul, an incredible example Saul of Tarsus, you know, a man angry against God who hated Christians, yet that glimpse of Jesus, that, that encounter with Jesus, totally transformed his life and he became you know, the, the writer of most of the New Testament and, and, and uh, the central figure in the second half of the book of Acts and, and, and to the letters to the different churches. We want to see the life-changing power of Jesus as we lift up his name and bring glory to his name. We come to minister to him. Uh, so so often people maybe go to church to be blessed and, the, and obviously if you're in need, Jesus is available to fill the need. But we want to bring the honour to him, the glory to him, the praise that he is due. Uh, Pastor Sean's heart is that we allow room for the Holy Spirit to move, uh, not just in our corporate services, but in our, our quiet times at home, in our uh, interactions with other people, in our life groups, in our corporate times together, that we allow room for the Holy Spirit to move. To the early church in, in Acts, were fully empowered by the Holy Spirit as, as they waited upon him. They were largely you know, fully obedient to 
his voice and to his moving with a couple of rare examples otherwise. But Jesus moved through them in incredible and powerful ways. This year's been a difficult year for a lot of people. But to be honest, in, in Queensland, we've actually done pretty well through it all, haven't we? Like you think about all of the countries around the world that are going through such terrible times. We've, we've, it's still been, we've been spared the worst of it, thankfully, and that's been fantastic. But, um, you know, for me as a teacher, uh, I've found this year to be the hardest year of my teaching career easily. You know, it's so much more difficult this year than any other year because of the changes that have occurred, and yet we've still been spared the difficulty that other places have had around the world. And, and it, the difficulties I've faced, well, I've still got a job. You know, for many people, they've had to work from home or, or they've been unemployed or underemployed, uh, isolated. Uh, many businesses are struggling. It seems like every time we, we get news, the news is bad and the news is getting worse. You know, the number of people dying is increasing. But this isn't a message of fear and to, uh, to uh, build uh, anxiety. But, um, but rather, you know, we, we are a people of compassion and we have a hurting world around us. We have an opportunity to share life and to share Jesus into the community, uh, into those who are suffering around. And, and so as God reshapes what he's doing, we have a tremendous opportunity to bring life and light uh, into our community. Um, Foodlink, great example of, of the opportunity we have to, to be a blessing to those who are struggling in our local community around us. But today I want to have a look at, it, at an incredible day in the life of Jesus, a day where he dealt with terrible news, and to look at how he handled that. Um, a day where he led people into the supernatural, uh, as we desire to do. And a day where he showed compassion for the lost. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me please to Matthew 14. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. I'm going to read soon, but before I do, um, just to build a bit of context. The start of this chapter starts with a terrible event of the death of John the Baptist at the hands of King Herod. He was beheaded and had his head served on a plate or on a platter to Herodias' daughter Salome. She had danced a provocative dance before Herod and his cohort at, at a big birthday bash that he had. And Herod was greatly pleased by the dance and, and as were his guests. And he offered Salome anything that she desired and influenced by her mother, she asked for the head of John the Baptist on a platter which I imagine for the crowd would have been incredibly shocking. It's shocking for us to read it. It would have been shocking to be there at the time and for that event to take place. You see, John the Baptist was being held at the time under lock and key because uh, he had rebuked Herod for stealing another man's wife. So Herodias was, had been married to Herod's half-brother. And because of John's speaking out, Herodias was uh, furious about that and she had convinced Herod to arrest John. Herod was only too willing because he was suspicious of the large crowds that, uh, that John got. John was a prophet to the people. He was greatly admired by the people. So Herod found himself in that place where he'd publicly offered anything to Salome. She wanted the head of John the Baptist and he ordered his execution. So John's disciples came, grabbed his body to bury it and, and they went and told Jesus about it. So looking from Matthew 14, 13 through to 21... When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. 
I'm going to read it from there because I've got a different version on here. <laughs> and when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and he healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass and he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples and the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled and they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Notice that Jesus' reaction to hearing the bad news of the killing of John the Baptist was to get away from people, to, to go and spend a bit of time alone with his father. Compare that to what we often see today when we hear bad news. If, if people hear bad news, almost always they go and look up more bad news. They turn on the TV to watch the news. They might look up the internet and, and, and search stuff, different news uh, sources. They might get onto social media and vent about how they feel or to read how other people feel about the news. We often feed in our culture on, on the bad news. And no wonder so many people end up with anxiety and depression, the way we feed on that bad news. But Jesus showed us it's okay to spend a bit of time, a bit of solitary time, especially when you go to spend it with the Father. And that was what his intention was. He wanted to go and spend some time with the Father. Now, Galilee was a place that would have been very difficult to spend some time alone. It was a, it was a small country. It's about 80 kilometres from north to south and about 40 kilometres from east to west. So not a very big uh, area. But we know from Josephus' writings that in Jesus' time, uh, there was over 200 towns and villages within Galilee that all had a population of 15,000 people or more. So quite a big population within a small area. So in such a thickly populated area, it wouldn't have been easy for Jesus to get away alone. But from where he was, it was quiet on the other side of the lake, and, uh, and he, so he headed off to do that. But I find it interesting when I read through this to think about the reaction of the multitudes. You know, we, they didn't have the mass media the way we have now. The news would have spread by word of mouth throughout the towns and people hearing of the death of John the Baptist. Um, and it says, you know, many thousands of people on hearing the story of the death of John the Baptist and how he died, their, their thought was to go and to find Jesus, which is, which is an interesting reaction. Thousands of people coming out of their houses and trying to find Jesus and seeing him out on the lake and they would have walked around the, the side of the lake. They would have been able to see where he was heading uh, on the lake. Uh, and so they walked around and it says they, when he got off, you know, when he got to where he was going, the, the multitude had got there before him and were waiting for him from their towns. It's interesting, isn't it, that, um, that their reaction was to, to go to Jesus. So what a great reaction it, it is. It's, it's a good lesson for us all. Now, Jesus' friends were fishermen, simple fishermen, <laughs> simple, uneducated fishermen. Imagine for yourself, if you would, what his friends might have looked like, simple, <laughs> uneducated fishermen. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and it would have been easy for him to get a boat and to get out on the lake, which he did, because he, he was seeking that place of solitude. And so he, he grabbed a boat and he headed out and uh, headed off 
because he'd heard of the death of John. Now, John obviously was his cousin. John was his friend. It was a time that he was going. There were some perfectly simple and natural reasons why Jesus would want to go and be alone at that time. See, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. And so as a hu- the human aspect of Jesus, he needed rest. He needed that bit of time out. Jesus, the creator, the author of life, the living word of God, uh, limited himself to be born in human form. Uh, theologians call that kenosis, emptying yourself of yourself. He emptied himself of his divine self and took on the other form of a man to, to live as fully human, fully God, fully man. And he felt the effects of fatigue on his body as we all do. Emotional stress has its impact on the human body and he separated himself to deal with that difficult situation prayerfully. For us to do that, when we're finding those times of emotional distress on our body, separating yourself to spend time with Father God is a great option, as Jesus has shown us. So the death of John wouldn't have been a surprise to Jesus. He is, after all, not just fully man, but fully God. He would have known about the death of, of John. However, he was still experiencing natural human emotions, uh, the grief and loss at the news of John's passing. He also would have known that the cross was coming nearer and he knew that he needed to meet with God before meeting with man uh, to prepare for that. He was seeking rest for his body, strength for his soul in the lonely places, seeking solitude with his father. That's a good thing. But he wasn't to get it, not right at that time anyway. As I said, the, um, the multitudes would have been able to find where he was going, follow where he was going and walk around. And it says in the word that he, they got there before he arrived at the other side of the lake and they were there. It says that Jesus healed them and ministered to them. And when evening came, he fed them before they took the long road home. Uh, to me, Jesus did a lot of miracles, but, but there are a few miracles that are so revealing as this. See, it tells us of the compassion of Jesus. When he saw the multitudes there, he was moved with compassion to the depths of his being. I find that rather incredible. Jesus had gone to find peace and quiet and to be on his own, and he got followed by thousands of people into that quiet place, and yet he was moved with compassion, and he healed the sick, and he he spent time ministering to them in that time and place. I could imagine, seriously, I've never had thousands of people follow me to try and hear what I want to say in a difficult time. You know? But if I, was, if I needed that quiet time, that solitude, and, and to head away, and you, all of a sudden thousands of people have followed you, where you when you're trying to go and be alone, I could imagine myself being really rather frustrated and, and probably a bit, bit gruff with the way I spoke. Rather, Jesus was filled with compassion. Aren't we glad that he's Jesus and we're not? Because I reckon our natural reaction would be a lot worse. But it's something we can really learn from um, that the way Jesus dealt with that situation, I think, is an incredible lesson for us all. You see, the, the multitudes that were coming, they weren't following Jesus to check in on how he was going. They weren't there to see if he was all right, thinking, oh, wow, John the Baptist has died. We know Jesus was close with John the Baptist. Better go and see how he's doing. No, they were going because they were scared. They were afraid. They, they weren't sure what was going on. They were going because they needed Jesus to minister to them. And, and uh, so they were fearful, they were shocked. You know, I can imagine thinking, what right do they have to invite my privacy with their continual demands? You know, can't I just have some rest, some quiet, a little bit of peace, some time to myself at all? That's probably how I would have reacted, but that wasn't how Jesus reacted. 
he was moved with compassion for them. Um, uh, there was a famous Indian Christian guy named Pramanand who, who said in his autobiography, in the days of old, so now our message to the non-Christian world has to be the same, that God cares. If that be so, we must never be too busy for people. We must never ever seem to find them a trouble or a nuisance. How many times have opportunities been lost because we've been frustrated, we've been impatient, and we may have uh, shown that in the way we speak to others? And almost always they will turn away. And, you know, I, I know even in myself with, with my kids, there's been times where I've been distracted, I've been wanting to just spend time and they'll be, the girls will be talking and I, I'll miss what they're saying because I've just been caught up in my own need to have that little bit of solitude at the time. Who knows, guys come home, they go in their cave and they need that bit of time to themselves, right? But, but we miss so many opportunities when we, when we do that. Jesus was moved with compassion and he showed that consistently. Jesus never found anyone a nuisance, even when his whole being was crying out for rest and quiet, and I believe neither must his followers. We need to be people who love God wholeheartedly, you know, with our whole heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and to love our neighbours as ourselves, to love others with Jesus' love. Um, yeah, it says in the Word of God, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. But our love shouldn't just be for one another too, but for, in, in fact, you know, it says to, to love your enemies, to bless those who curse you. you know, so our love should be such that we uh, take that love wherever we go to others. If we could be honest about the uh, con- concept of the church to the world, it probably isn't that we are a loving people that love everyone regardless of who they are and where they are. Right? We need to, I believe, change. That's part of the transformation we need to change, that we love others unconditionally as Christ has loved us. You know, Jesus describes our neighbour as the Samaritan, those who were traditionally thought of in very unsavoury terms by the Jewish people. We need to show that genuine love and compassion for all of those around. It's easy to love our friends, isn't it? It's easy to love people who are lovable, um, but it's so much harder to love people who are speaking out against you and and cursing you with what they say, Um, yet that's what we've been called to do. I believe our church life should look a fair bit messier. We're often very comfortable and we like to be around people who are like us and we, we enjoy spending time. That's understandable. But I believe God wants to bring people in, in our midst who are very hard to love and we need to show Christ's love to all. The things should look a little bit messier and that's okay. In this story we see Jesus witnessing that all gifts are from God. He, he took the food and he said a blessing over it. The, the Jewish grace before meals was very simple. Blessed are you, Jehovah our God, King of the universe who brings forth bread from the earth. Um, it's likely to be the blessing that he said or something like that that he would have said because um, that was a grace that every Jewish family used. Um, we, we see that Jesus is, um, that it's God's gifts which he brings to men. The grace of gratitude is rare enough towards men. It is rarer still towards God. We see in this also the role of the disciples in the work of Christ. See, the, the miracle of the, the feeding of the 5,000 men plus women and children, um, Jesus broke and he gave it to the disciples and then they went and gave it, distributed to the, the crowd, to the people who were there. That Jesus uh, worked through the hands of the disciples and he still does that today. Again and again we come face to face with this truth that's at the heart of the church, that Jesus works through us. 
Okay, he has the capacity, yes, to, to do whatever, but he chooses to work through us, his church. And, and so it's true that the disciple of Jesus, someone who's a follower of Jesus, somebody who wants to serve Jesus is, is helpless without Jesus. Without, we are helpless without him as our Lord. But at the same time, in, in that essence, he is helpless without us because he chooses to work through us. If we haven't stepped up to the plate, he, he's waiting for us to be ready to move. And I believe part of the reformation that we're looking at is that God wants to work through us uh, in a way that we've never experienced before. And uh, we need to be available to that. If Jesus wants something done, if he wants a child taught, if he wants a person helped, he gets us, his followers, to do it. He can heal people supernaturally, but he, it usually involves us laying on hands or, or saying a prayer, being actively involved in the process. Um, he, he still uses his church, his followers. Um, he needs people who can act and through whom he can speak. He needs disciples through whom he can work and through whom his truth and his love can enter into the lives of others. See, we're all called into this. It's not a job for Pastor Sean if he were <laughs> to be working at the time or, or for others you know, in ministry. call. It's the call of the entire church. We're all called. Go into all the world. Make disciples of all people. Uh, that's, that's the call for everyone, every single one of us. And he needs us to be obedient to what he's calling us to be. In fact, as you know, the body of Christ, involved, we, the church is called the body of Christ. We're all involved in something. Every one of us has got a, per, a plan, a purpose from God, and we all need to be fulfilling that. Otherwise, we're limiting what God is able to do. We are blessed in order to be a blessing. You know, Jesus blesses us, and he uses whatever we bring to him. When Jesus told the disciples to feed the crowd, they told him all they had was five loaves and two fishes. Yet, with what they brought to him, Jesus did a miracle. So I can imagine a similar miracle happening this month. Pastor Sean being on holidays might be going fishing. There might be a miracle of, of a fish being provided to the family uh, to eat. Um, Reuben tells me to be a miracle if he caught a fish anyway. Um, not quite of the scale that we're talking about. But, uh, you know, a miracle nonetheless if fish were provided and to miraculously feed the family. But, uh, but Jesus says, oh, I'm in so much trouble. <laughs> Jesus, says, <"Come." laughs> Jesus says, come to me as you are, however ill-equipped. Bring to me what you have, however little, five loaves, two fishes. You know, bring whatever you've got and I'll use it greatly in my service. Little is always much in the hands of Jesus. Whatever we've got to bring... We bring it and he can multiply it. He changes it. He, he can transform it. So often we think, I can't do that. If God gives us a call, a vision, a, an idea to do something, we so often self-limit ourselves. We think, I can't do that. Yet if we offer it like that, God is able to turn it into what he needs it to be. And, and in fact, he doesn't, it's not always adequate. He doesn't just do what's adequate. There was 12 baskets of leftovers after he did it. He's able, you know, in, in the hands of Jesus... He can take our little and it turns into more than enough. And, and so whatever we've got to offer him, whatever he's asking us to do, we give it to him in faith and he will turn it into whatever he needs. It'll be more than enough. Notice that after the crowds were fed, Jesus still needed a little bit of solitude. He still needed a bit of alone time and he wanted to go and, and pray. And it says in, uh, we're going to look at 22 to 27, 
It says, uh, immediately he compelled his disciples, or immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, this is still the same day. It's really remarkable, because we often see... These different uh, stories talked about in, in separation, but it's the same day. You heard about the, the news of John the Baptist dying, and then we've had the feeding of the 5,000, and then we've, we've now got, you know, later that night and into the early hours of the next day, he's still awake, and it's still, so it's early the next morning by the time this happens, but it's, he's still awake from this same day. What an incredible uh, 24-hour period that, that this all happens in. After he fed the multitude, Jesus sent his disciples away. Now, Matthew says that he compelled him, um, depending on which version you read, he compelled them to embark in the boat and go on ahead. The word compelled sounds a little bit strange, but if you look at what John, John's um, record of this same passage, John 6, 15, um, it, it gives a little bit more insight into the account um, because it says that after feeding the multitude, the crowd wished to come and make him a king by force. Um, so remember the context, John the Baptist had been beheaded. They were all uh, in a state of grief and, and probably fear. You can imagine that the multitudes that were there, there would have been a fair bit of anti-government kind of talk going on. And they were, they, you know, were, um, Jesus was in, in a, um, like a surge of popular acclaim. It was very possible that a Palestinian revolution could have started that day. And I reckon he sent the disciples on our way ahead because they were still thinking in Jesus in terms of a natural king. And, and, and so I reckon he sent them away to be able to deal with the multitudes and send them off on his own and to sort of settle the situation down, to stop it becoming something that it shouldn't be. But um, anyway, he sent them away and then he went off and he got his alone time um, which was, which was awesome. And he went up and he had time to pray and the night had come. And, of course, the storms came up, so the disciples are out on the, on the water and the storms came up. And it said in, in the passage there in the fourth watch or about 3 a.m. Uh, in the morning, um, Jesus was making his way back and he saw the storms under the moonlight. He saw the disciples out being tossed about in the wave uh, and he walked across to, uh, to be there with them um, and... Uh, and we, saw the, the, we see the situation, the encounter with Peter. Note that uh, even, even in his weariness, Jesus had prioritised time with the Father. So, like, this had been a big day, right? And he was tired, but he stayed up. Like, at three o'clock in the morning was when he was walking back. <laughs> so he'd spent the whole night, even in his weariness, prioritising time with the Father. When we're tired, when we're worn out, I, so often we might... I, I, Definitely want to prioritise sleep at times, but he prioritised time with the Father and got his energy from that. But, but it talks about the wind that blew up and the wind was contrary. There are times in life, times in 2020, when we're up against life and the winds are contrary. You know, it might be that um, we're having a desperate struggle with ourselves, maybe with our circumstances, maybe with temptation, maybe with our sorrows, maybe with decisions that we need to make. 
At such a time, no one needs struggle alone because Jesus comes to you across the storms of life with his hand stretched out to save, reached out to, uh, and with his calm, clear voice, bidding us to take heart and to have no fear. Jesus is always with us if we keep our eyes fixed on him. Verses 28 to 33, Peter got down from the well. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Incredible passage of scripture. Um, I think it tells us a bit, I'm just going to sort of wrap up this on uh, looking at a bit of Peter's character and what it shows us about him. Uh, See, he was given to acting on impulse. We know that from other passages of scripture too, that he acted on on impulse. He often acted without thinking what he was doing. Uh, Time and time again, he kind of made that mistake, but um, he, he had a heart that was... Uh, undying for his um, loyalty to Jesus. He was impulsive. His heart was in the right place. He acted on impulse um, and he often uh, failed and he often came to grief. But, but at the same time, um, a bit like um, an athlete who you know, crosses the finish line second but the winner won it in world record time, Peter was the second person in history to walk on water. None of us have done it. And, and we think of him as, even Jesus said, you have little faith, yet he, was, he stepped out of the boat in the storm and walked on the water until he took his eyes off Jesus and he was of little faith. You know, so I haven't walked on water um, and, uh, you know, so I mean, I, to me, G, uh, Peter's actually demonstrated great faith to get out of the boat and walk on the water until he took his eyes off Jesus. But it really does show, doesn't it, the different, if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus... The, the incredible difference than when we take our eyes off Jesus. You know, uh, absolutely incredible what he can do. Um, you know, Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus was completely honest with men that, uh, uh, that it would be difficult to follow him um, and that when we set out on the Christian way, it, it's not meant, it, you know, sometimes the church tries to sell something. And Stewie talked last week about the marketing of the church. And sometimes the church has got a real problem with the way they try and sell the gospel message that come to Jesus and everything will be right. And, and people find out actually you're supposed to take up your cross and follow him. And, and, you know, we've sold them something that they didn't buy into and people leave. And, and many churches, the front door's been open, but the back door's been open wider or as wide, and people have come and people have gone. But we need to be people who keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Take our eyes off us, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and what he's doing. I like the fact that Peter, you know, he took, yes, he failed, he took his eyes off Jesus and he started to sink, but he didn't ultimately fail because he reached out and grabbed Jesus' hand in that time, and instead of going under, Jesus was there to save him, to pull him up. So even, even when he took his eyes off Jesus, he knew to reach out to Jesus and, and Jesus would save him and pull him, pull him through. It's been often said that a saint's not a man who never fails. A saint is a man who gets up and goes on again every time he fails. 
See, Peter's failures only made him love Jesus more. As a fisherman, Peter knew all about boats and storms, but I can be pretty sure that he'd never tried to walk on water before, um, much less during the storm. But so, you know, when Jesus said, come, his immediate reaction was just to get out of the boat and to, and to come and to follow the voice of Jesus. Um, Jesus wrapped a world of truth in that one word, come. Strength for every trial, faith for every storm, courage for every conflict. The promise of his presence and, um, and absolutely everything we need to obey is promised to those who are willing to leave the safety of the boat and come to Jesus. God never forces us into obedience. He invites us to obey and leaves the choice to us. We are safe when we keep our eyes on Jesus. Right? We, we often act out of fear, but we are safe when we keep our eyes off, uh, on Jesus. We might not think we're good enough. We might not think we've got what we need to make it happen. But when we keep our eyes fixed on him, he will empower what we need. He will he'll empower us. He will give us what we need. He will make it happen. We've no reason to fear when we keep our eyes on Jesus. I'm going to finish with this story. Um, there was a couple of missionaries, John Patton and his wife. I don't know the wife's name, sorry. They were missionaries in the New Hebrides Islands. Um, one night they were surrounded by angry locals um, who didn't want them there. And uh, they were intent on burning them, burning their uh, mission house down and killing them. And both, both of them prayed throughout the night, asking God to strengthen their faith. At dawn, they were amazed to see that their attackers simply turned and left. And about a year later, the chief of the tribe became a Christian. And Peyton asked him what had kept him and his men from killing them at night that night. And he, and he said, who were all those men with you? And Peyton said, there was no one with us. My wife and I were all alone. And the chief said, they'd seen hundreds of men standing guard, big men in shining garments with drawn swords. We, we often see through our own natural eyes. We, you know, if God has given us a call, and as a church, he's called each and every one of us, absolutely convinced of that. And, and sometimes we limit God. We think, I don't know if I can do what God's called me to do when we, we might be a little bit afraid and we don't step out of the boat. But if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we may not be aware of what else is around, but if we um, bathe everything we do in prayer, you know, encapsulate everything in prayer and we press in towards Jesus and we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, there is so much more capable, so much more potential because we've kept our eyes on Jesus. I'll ask, finish with a couple of couple of questions. Uh, what about you? Are you trapped in a storm? Are you clinging to the sides of a rocking boat wondering where God is and why he's silent? For a lot of people, 2020, that's what it's been like. Is your heart in a grip of fear and doubt? I believe put our eyes on Jesus, fix our eyes on Jesus, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. He will lift us up as he did with Peter. Where do we need to step out in faith? You know, I could have Called And originally when I started working on this a couple of weeks ago, I was going to call it Stepping Out in Faith. And then I realised Stepping Out in Faith is about me. Keeping my eyes fixed on Jesus is about him. And, but, you know, Peter took the step of faith out of the boat, but it was actually keeping his eyes fixed on Jesus that made it what it was. Where do we need to step out on faith? Or where do we need to step out and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus? Where do we need to be stretched? Where do we need to be enlarged? No matter how hard he, he thought about it, he, he couldn't have come up with a way, Peter couldn't have come up with a way to how to walk on water. 
But Jesus said, come, and he stepped out and he, he took that step of faith. Where are we staying safe in the boat? You know, the other disciples stayed there and they stayed safe. They didn't step out, right? Where, where in our life are we staying safe inside the boat? I want us to th- think about that and be challenged by that. Where, where in our heart, where in our life, in our life circumstances and situations, have we just gone into that little bit of a cocoon and, and, and stayed safe and not stepped out according to the word of God? You know, it's, it's all about him. It's not about us. Uh, his desire is to make us more like Christ. Um, if we allow him, he will use it to. He will use us to build his influence, uh, build his kingdom, to spread his influence around our community. We need to walk by faith, not by sight. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Why don't we pray? Father God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you are calling us into something new. And I pray, Lord, that you can uh, help us to tune in to what you're saying, that you give us ears to hear your Holy Spirit all the time, that, uh, Lord, we can be obedient to what you're saying. I I just pray, Lord, for each and every person that's here, regardless of whatever circumstances we're in, uh, whatever situation we find ourselves in, um, whether it's been uh, difficult times or, or good times, Lord, that we can put our trust in you, hear your voice, and keep our eyes fixed on you as we step out in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.